right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Day 226. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so today I'm excited because we are in the book of Ezra. We are starting a new book today, the book of Ezra. And uh, Ezra, <clears throat> long, long ago, before there was even a such thing as a Christian, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah were one book. And uh, the context of Ezra to Nehemiah was the return from exile. Now, there are some events uh, that take place between Ezra and Nehemiah. So therefore, we will not do Nehemiah right after Ezra. I believe we'll go to Esther. I have to double check that. But um, yeah, so Ezra here, though, in, in Nehemiah 2, they're just about uh, the returning and rebuilding, right? Returning and rebuilding. You got those two words, you'll know the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, it's about the returning of the Jews from exile, right? And the rebuilding of the temple and the city and the community after the exile. Now, we remember that we've been talking all the past few months about the Babylonians, right? The Babylonians took the Jews into exile in waves, 605, 597, 586. However, in 539 BC, the Persian Empire comes and overthrows Babylon, right? And so the Persian Empire comes and overthrows Babylon and God, because he's the God and the king of all kings, he is moving on the heart of these pagan kings to show favor to his people, right? And so um, you see in the very first uh, verse of the book of Ezra, it says this, in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order to fulfill, hear this, the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, the Lord roused the spirit of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and to put it in writing. So we see off the bat that the author of Ezra Nehemiah understood the Jews coming back as a fulfillment of prophecy from the book of Jeremiah. Now we'll see that he doesn't see the full fulfillment of the prophecies in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 30 to 33, but he does see this as a fulfillment of prophecy nonetheless. So we have King Cyrus of Persia issuing a decree that the Jews can go back to their land. Y'all can go home, right? Y'all can go back to the y'all crib. Right. And rebuild the temple. And the text tells us that this was not by happenstance, chance or osmosis. Right. Jeremiah 25 said 70 years. And so Cyrus is going to issue this decree. And essentially, the God of heaven is the one who roused the spirit. Right. Um, of Cyrus so that they could build the house of God. Now, this language of the house of God is so good. It's huge. It's a huge theme in the book, actually a huge theme in the Hebrew Bible, actually a huge theme in the uh, Old and New Testament. Um, the house of God is this huge theme and it works on more than one level. On one In one sense, the house of God is the actual physical building of the temple, right? Um, but it's also the people, right? So if we're in the house of God, we we, we are the house of God, right? Remember 2 Samuel 7, David's like, y'all want to build you a house. Lord is like, I'm going to build you a house, right? And so uh, scripture will talk about the house of Israel, the house of God um, on more than one level. Now, but it also talks about the house of David specifically. So even though you have the house of God, the actual temple, you have the house of God, the people of God, but you also have the house of God in David's sense, right? So David's lineage, David's line, the kingship and kingdom language uh, contains, uh, has connotations with the house of God as well. No, nevertheless, he makes the decree and there's a debate about whether he's a, a genuine believer, because back in those days, it's so much to say uh, back in those days, fam, you would have a king and he would allow sometime his conquered people to go back to their nations. Right. Um, it, but 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 he would still remain sovereign over those people in those nations. He would just be expanding his territory in a sense. Um, so, yeah, but 
at the end of the day, like from the perspective of the biblical authors, it is the Lord who did this, right? It is it is nonetheless the Lord who is working in this way. God roused their spirit. Uh, he roused the spirit of the people to come back just as he did Cyrus's spirit in 1-1. And you just see that um, God works in the micro and the macro, fam. Like God works on the micro and the macro, right? We tend to think of God working in one way or the other. Either he is working in the world to uh, 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 move uh, kingdoms and societies and all these kinds of things and moving history, or he is just working in my individual heart in my room as I read my Bible. No, both. It's both. It's both. It's both. It's both. Um, he can shatter kingdoms, uh, work in the midst of policy and public affairs, but he also delves deep to the core of man and touches people on an individual level now it's interesting that the text mentions that folks from judah and benjamin and some levites come back and you may be wondering where are the other 10 tribes where is everybody else notice the text doesn't say that they return right and i think this makes sense of a lot of the language in the new testament where jesus is going to say hey i came for the lost tribes of the um the, the lost tribes of israel right um that christ talks about so chronicles um, would, would say though that some other tribes come back and that's a whole nother combo but you see that uh, Judah and Benjamin primarily southern kingdom comes back and um, chapter 2 comes and the goal here is to basically just show the continuity that the post-exilic community had with the pre-exilic community right so he's going to give all these names this is his this is his pops this is his pops this is his pops this is his pops right and um, all he's just trying to say is uh, no 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 like we we're not just uh, wasting ink here. Um, these people have a connection to the past, right? To, to God, each of these individual peoples and families are significant. And I love it because um, as we're reading their history, we're reading our history, right? And our history is so important. In order to know who we are and where we're going, we have to know where we came from. And it's the same thing for these Jews uh, here. Now, um, only 4,200, uh, right? Only 4,200 people uh, return, right? Uh, 42,000, excuse me, 42,000 people return. Um, and that is a very small number compared to the millions that were uh, part of all of Israel. They were numerous as the scars of the sky, right? They were numerous as the sand of the seashore. Uh, read Deuteronomy. Uh, and now they, they, they've, they've, they've come down to this small group. And that should tell us a lot about the judgment that God was saying. He was leaving. Uh, he was going to prune his people. He was going to bring his judgment. He was going to leave a remnant, though, a small faithful few that would continue his redemptive purposes in the world. And they are led uh, by this cat named uh, Zerubbabel, right? And Zerubbabel is the cat um, who, who who God uh, used to lead the people uh, back to uh, um, their land. And his name means planted in Babylon. Zerubbabel, he, he, is, he is planted in uh, Babel or Babylon. And he is going to lead the people back. But it's amazing because um, it says a lot about their belief and faith in the God of the Bible that they would actually go back right to the land that was promised to their ancestors. And they had to be thinking about the prophecies of Scripture because they had been raised in an entire different part of the world. And to actually believe that God said it's time to go back said a lot about their faith. Chapter three strategically goes back to the calendar. Right. Not to just say when they got started, but it will say specifically that it was in the seventh month. Right. This was Tishri. This was the, 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 the time period called Tishri. The new year, the Feast of Trumpets will start on the first day. The 10th day will be the Day of Atonement. The 15th to 21st day will be the Feast of Tabernacles. All this uh, symbolized uh, Israel's history. But it was also uh, in continuity when uh, Solomon actually built the first temple. So that's why he's giving so many details about the time of year it was. He wasn't just trying to say it was hot outside. It was 
whether it was right. No, no, no. He was saying, no, no, like this was actually in continuity what God did the first time. And so they offer sacrifices. All of that good stuff is restored. You see uh, Joshua with Zerubbabel and they're building, they're leading the rebuilding of the foundation of the temple. Now they build the foundation of the temple. And then the text says this in chapter three, it says, um, but many of the older priests, Levites and family heads who had seen the first temple, huh? Wept loudly. Hmm when they saw the foundation of this temple. I'll stop right there. What's interesting is they build the foundation of the temple, but you know what doesn't happen, right? The glory cloud, the glory cloud, the fiery cloud of God's presence does not come down like it did in Exodus 40 and 1 Kings 8, right? So the text would go on to say the old heads, they was crying, right? But some of the new cats was hype, right? But they knew that this small thing was in no comparison cannot cannot compare to the actual temple that god built the first time with king solomon and you just see how uh the, the younger cats the newer guys um they have this joy right and so you just see the suffering and glory motif we talk about all throughout the old testament some people are suffering some people are joyous but um you'll you'll you'll, you'll realize that uh god's glory presence and fire not coming down would be a sad occasion for the people of God in light of the prophecies of restoration that they had read in their scriptures. And God promises, though, in this time, in Haggai too, we'll get there, um, that this temple will actually exceed the last temple. Um, and it's a, it's amazing because um, we have to wait to the New Testament. I think the thing that the author wants to say is that, listen, this is partially a restoration but it is not the full restoration right the full restoration only comes when the son of god comes the son of man comes the king from the line of david comes jesus the christ the messiah right the anointed one the lord's anointed when he comes that's when god's presence will really come and be with us but i think nonetheless i think we can learn from this text that um based on the promises that God does give in light of this time period, um, that the height of God's blessing, listen, will far exceed the depth of our disappointments, fam. The height of God's blessing will far exceed the depths of our disappointments, even if in the midst of our disappointments, we don't realize it, right? Um, even if we don't realize it. But nonetheless, the text ends with an anticlimactic moment. Ezra 4, last of this bunch. Ezra 4 talks about this opposition that was faced by Zerubbabel, who is spearheading the temple rebuilding in the Israelite community, where you have people who were already in the land and in the surrounding areas of Judah and Jerusalem, right? Um, basically not happy with what was going on. And so basically, uh, remember 2 Kings 17, right? Assyria comes and conquers the Northern Kingdom. They take the Northern Kingdom and they bring other people to live in the land. So these people have been living here. And then imagine these Jews coming back saying, no, we coming to rebuild everything we had, right? And so you can see how there's beef. Now, some of the people that remained in the land were actually of Israelite descent, right? And so there's a lot going on here, but basically they're beefing. Right. And so uh, some of the folks are like, yeah, like we've been here uh, for years, which I talking about. Right. Um, but um, many in the southern kingdom believe that the northern kingdom were the first to go apostate and to lead the nation into chaos. And so many people believe that that's why Zerubbabel was tripping. Nonetheless, 
you see that um, the people of the land, the people in the surrounding areas, they have opposition, right? And so they write letters to the Persian uh, kings at the time who were in power over everybody in this land and jurisdiction. Xerxes, and then years later, they still face opposition with Artaxerxes. Now, it's interesting what Ezra does here because he traverses a long period of time with Xerxes and Artaxerxes. This is, uh, some would say, uh, between uh, 80 and 100 years, right? And I think what Esther is, not Esther, excuse me, Ezra is trying to say, he's not trying to be uh, chronological, but theological. And he's trying to say this, listen, the reason I compressed all of this time into this one chapter, and then I'll return back to a chronological sequence in chapter five is because I want you to see that when you're doing God's work, when you're a part of kingdom building and kingdom work, you will face opposition, right? Like you will face opposition, right? When you're faithfully following the Lord as God's people collectively and doing what he calls you to do, you will face opposition. And the Jewish people here are facing this opposition. And notice what they're saying. They're like, fam, no, no, no. Like the, the people of the land are like trying to play on Artaxerxes. Uh, conscious they're like fam no no like you gonna actually lose money because of these people you would lose revenue so you see it gets like super super political and um yeah i think we just have to remember that when we are part of the kingdom of god there will be a deep seated opposition to our cause that we may not even see eradicated in our lifetime right so the people who were initially building the temple right had these problems they were facing and their children face the same problems and so are do we have enough faith in the god of the bible that he is going to uh, carry on his work right regardless of the lifetime of his workers even if the problems persist past our lifetime even if the change we want to see we don't see in our lifetime do we trust the god of the bible enough that he will finish the work he started in our generation in whatever generation he chooses to finish it. Let's pray. God, we ask that we would believe your scriptures more. God, I thank you for uh, the way you've preserved your word for generation after generation. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the faith to believe that you will finish the work you started. We praise, we praise you and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.